Some of them are volunteers. Some of them are paid staff, etc. Um, but we bring together the thought leaders, people who are writing, people who are producing materials and resources for local churches to use, anybody who's talking, thinking about it on any level. Okay. So last year we had a session on African-American stepfamilies. We had a session on military stepfamilies. We had stuff on parenting. We put three kids up in front of the whole audience and interviewed them. What's it like to be a kid growing up in a stepfamily? It was really, really a lot of fun. Hear from stepmoms about their experience, from stepdads about their experience. That, that just kind of gives you a little taste. This next year, our emphasis is going to be on children in stepfamilies. Because that interview with those kids in front of the audience went so well, we decided, you know what, we need to really focus on that this next year. So we teamed up with Homeward, Jim Burns, Doug Fields, the ministry of Homeward that's based on the West Coast, and they're helping us to create that emphasis uh, for this next year. And so there'll be everything from Step Family Ministry 101 to, um, you know, really learning a lot about children's ministry. How do you minister to kids in a children's ministry who are living in step family situations? Uh, and, and, and so that, uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. What I hope to do with this time, and if you didn't grab a handout, anybody not get a handout? They're back there on that table. Um, is I just want to talk through some of the practicalities. That's about what we have time for this afternoon, of setting up a local ministry, expanding what you already have, some of the different options. I want to talk to you about barriers for step family ministry, some of the things that get in the way that we have to think through and overcome. And I want to take just a little bit of time. Uh, this morning in the plenary, I tried to just emphasize that whole idea that uh, not all marriages are created the same. <laughs> And uh, so we have to learn a lot about step family living so that we can give them the best answers. Um, I, we don't have a lot of time to do that today. We'll do just a tad bit, uh, maybe enough to get you frustrated. But if, if, as we get to Q&As uh, towards the end, if you have specific questions about aspects of step family living, I'd love to engage you around that. I love this little picture because it captures this, this notion that there can be. Now, please hear me. There is not always a difficult transition to the stepfamily experience. Not always. Not all stepfamilies have a, twice the level of stress that biological families do. That, uh, okay. Let me back up. After a first marriage, when the husband and wife walk down the aisle without kids, stepfamily couples who walk down the aisle and create a stepfamily experience, their level of stress is two to three times higher than it is for that first marriage couple. Right, So everybody has normal transitions into marriage life, figuring out how to live together, and we're going to uh, roll the toilet paper over or under. All those kind of little life transitions that come along with getting married. But add two to three level, levels of stress on top of that, and that's what you have in a step-couple experience. And it's almost instantaneous. It depends on the age of the children, how many kids they are, what their attitude is, how, how much time the couple has spent dating, Therefore, whether or not the children have gotten used to the idea of the marriage and if they're on board with it or not, there's a lot of factors that go into how does that early transition go for families. But it's very common for people to experience something that's pretty radical. Um, I'm thinking of one couple that I did a marriage intensive with where uh, they came and spent three days trying to save their marriage. And their story went like this. We met online in November. We met face-to-face -face in January for the very first time. We uh, announced our engagement in April. We got married in June, and we were in therapy in September. Right? So there's a pace that is not helpful <laughs> for, 
for stepfamilies. This picture captures that, hey, the adults are thrilled. This is why they're getting married. They're in love for crying out loud. And yet, a child is confused. Does it mean the child is totally against it? No. Does it mean the child absolutely hates the step-parent? No. But they're at least confused about what's going on in their life. It's at least another, here's the way I'd put it, it's another transition for children that they didn't choose. The first one was dad dying. Or mom and dad's marriage dying. Or I was born to my mom and I never know my dad and now here's the step. There's a lot in that statement. Now we add to it another uh, huge transition in the child's life that they didn't ask for. No wonder there's confusion. No wonder there's a little bit of hot and cold. No wonder this child is in a different place than where the adults are. And by the way, that, that kind of really captures this notion that there can be this pretty big gap between where the adults are and where the children are at the point of the wedding. That's why we have all this stuff in between, right? So people tell me, well, that's, you know, I didn't know my kids weren't going to show up for the wedding, but they didn't. <laughs> What's that all about? Well, you're happy. You've you're, you got a future. You've got a partner, a lover, a companion. But there's something going on with them that just doesn't feel good about this. And so they're in a different place. All right, so that just kind of begins to capture some of the complexity. Not all marriages are created the same. Let's hear from Brett and Allison. I want you to listen to them talk about their story. I want you to notice in particular what their experience was when they went to their church to find support and help. I'm Allison Silveraven, and I have two kids, um, Azaria and Jasper. And I'm Brett Dumpf, and I had one child, uh, Trey Dumpf. And then we had one together, Gabriel. And we're a blended family. When we first got together, I had this picture that um, we were all going to join together and sit on the couch together and watch movies and snuggle up and have popcorn together, and we would be this happy family, and um, it didn't quite work out that way. It was rough and terrible in the beginning. There were days that I didn't think we were going to make it through. We didn't know exactly what we were getting ourselves into, but we knew that something bigger was was taking place than, than what we were aware of. I've heard that uh, an analogy before of a step family is like a crock pot and all the ingredients are kind of like the the different uh, family members and you've always got a carrot that takes longer to cook than others and we definitely had a carrot in our crock pot that took a little longer to to warm up. You know, a crock pot is a lot different than a microwave and I think when we went into this we were hoping that we just throw it in the microwave and you know, a minute and 30 seconds later, we have popcorn, and it's done. And uh, the Crock-Pot's been going 10 years now, and we've actually started to to see quite a bit of, of difference than when we first started our family. I think it's a natural tendency as a parent to want the best for your kids and want it to be perfect for them and, and try to raise them um, in a really great home and... Um, we fall so short on that, especially in a, bend- a blended family. Like, um, there's so many complicated 
mixed up layers to that, that you just at some point have to trust that God knows the bigger story and that God loves them more than you love them and it's going to be okay as long as you are where he wants you to be in it. We came to GCC and um, we started taking some of the classes there. We took the financial peace class um, and that really bonded our marriage together. Um, and we started taking some parenting classes and um, marriage classes and we always left feeling kind of like there was something missing, like some of the things that work for traditional families just don't work for step families. Um, when you're parenting your biological child versus your stepchild, um, there's so many different layers and it's so multifaceted. Traditional family practices just kind of don't work for them. I think I cried every day the first year. And when I would come home from work, I had no idea if I was coming home to Happy Allison or Sad Allison or, or what. For so long, I think I really tried to be her source of happiness when we first got together. God has to be her source of happiness first. It took us a long time to figure out the balance of um, prioritizing life with, with God and then our marriage and then our children. And when you have four kids um, in a blended household, it can be very easy to put the kids first. It's really leaning in and, and having faith that, that God knows what he's doing because every day is definitely not easy or or what you have pictured going into it. It's difficult, it takes a lot of work. Trust in God and, and, and know that you're just gonna mess up sometimes. Hang in there and every day is not gonna be easy and, um, and choose to stay. What did you hear? Talk to me. In terms of what was their experience when they went to church? It didn't meet their family, right? So they go to the marriage ministry classes, they go to the parent classes, and they kind of go, okay, hmm, let's translate this into step family, right? Like it's a different language, right? And they've got to figure out how to take those things and, and make it fit in their life. Now, listen to that. I, I don't know about you, but that really impacts me. Because that speaks to, have you ever been in a foreign country where they speak a different language? And everybody around you is doing it and talking and doing this thing. And you're going, what are they saying? What are they saying? I don't know what they're saying to me. I don't understand. I don't know how to communicate. I don't get that. Well, that's kind of what it's like sometimes. Not for everybody. Not for everything that we do or we teach. We just have to realize it's that significant. It's almost like a different language for them. Which means we have to find a language that fits their experience. And understand it to a level that we can begin to speak into it. And when we get there, it really makes a difference. I hit you with some stats earlier today. Just real quick, I'll go over a couple. 100 million Americans have a step relationship. 175 million of us will have before we die. You might be a step-grandmother or a step-grandfather. It's not your life, it's not your marriage, but it is somebody you really care about. Or it's a neighbor. 175 million of us. If you ever have, the reason I share these stats with you is that if you ever have difficulty getting through your leadership in your church, to this is the rationale for why this needs to be done. Because this is a lot of people and it's a growing population. Uh, we estimate that another 100 million Americans know and care for someone in a blended family. <laughs> Walk into your elders' meeting one night and go, How many of you have a step relationship? 
How many of you know somebody with a step relationship or care for somebody who has a... And you'll notice about two-thirds of them will raise their hand. And all of a sudden, it's not this weird kind of group of people, you know, that, well, why are we doing this? All of a sudden, this is us. Those little, those little moves kind of can be really helpful. 40% of married couples with children are step families. Just to get the stats right, because sometimes that matters... That's married couples with children, all right? Very important, married couples with children. If you take out whether they have children, in other words, you add in just married couples, it's still 35% of households in the U.S. of married couples are blended family couples. But the divorce rate is somewhere around 50 to 60%. If the divorce rate for first marriages is around 40 to 50%, there's different numbers for different people in different populations. So we say anywhere from 10 to 25% higher divorce rate for couples in step families. And it's simply because that complexity works against them in their relationships. Right? It's one thing to be a couple. It's another thing to be a family. And so we try to help them understand and work with, with all of that. Um, by the way, if you ever want stats... <laughs> Well, do I have statistics for you? Go to smartstepfamilies.com. That's my personal webpage, smartstepfamilies.com. And just up at the menu bar, you'll, you'll mouse over the little topics there, and you'll find uh, statistics, stepfamily statistics page. And you'll have more stats than you ever wanted to know, all in one place with all the references so that you can quote it and use it in whatever it is that you're doing. All right? Feel free to use that. Let's start off our conversation about ministry by talking about some of the barriers, some of the things that get in the way that we need to be mindful of in your church context. We don't perceive the need, which is why I just gave you some stats, (laughs) so that others will open their eyes when you share with them, hey, this is what's going on, and here's our church. Um, Just the other day, I talked to a guy who goes to a church in the Denver area, um, Highland Highland Park. Is anybody familiar with Denver? It's, It's a south Denver area, and it's a suburb. And uh, they did a survey of their church, and they found out that 47% of the families in their church are blended families. Now, that's a high rate. Um, I think across the board, I would generally say about 30% of families in the average church are blended families. By the way, we don't have any stats on this. Nobody's ever done a survey. We don't really know, so we're guessing, okay? But any individual church might come up with some numbers like this one particular church did, 47%. Different parts of the country, whether you're urban, uh, rural, whether, you know, west coast, south, etc., it can vary. So, but a third is probably a pretty safe bet to say across the country. But it may be higher than that. A lot of times it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And there's a couple things that contribute to that. Leaders in, in general... This is an interesting thing for me, and if you guys have any insight into this, I'd love for you to to chime in. I think for elders and a lot of pastors, we're kind of looking at the congregation as a whole, not really necessarily looking at family units. And we just think married versus single versus whatever. And so there's broad categories, and we're really not realizing that there's a subcategory called step-family couples. And even if we do acknowledge their step-family couples, you have to then know that the life in a step-family is very different than life in a first family. And if you don't realize that difference, then you don't really make anything of it. It's just they're a couple. They're a married couple along with all the other married couples. So we really don't take note of it. Does that make sense? In other words, they stay invisible. There's another end to this continuum, and that's where children's ministry leaders and student ministry leaders deal with so many kids in blended families that... It almost is the norm, and so they don't think anything of it either. It's like 
they've not really thought, oh, well, we need to pay attention to this and do something different and think through our ministry and how we're doing what we're doing, etc. It's just so normal that it's apt, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, it's, uh, it's a difference that really doesn't make a difference. <laughs> and so they don't really pay attention to it either. I find that really interesting. It tends to be one way or the other. And so for us to put perspective on it and, and, and let people understand and say, yeah, this is a different animal and it is something that we need to pay attention to, I think is part of the issue. Here's one other thing that contributes to all the invisibility of step families in our churches. They're not standing up waving flags for the most part. When they come to your church, they're not going, where's the blended family class? They're coming in saying, we want to go to re-engage. We want to go to the marriage ministry. We're dating. We want to go to the premarital whatever. They don't define themselves necessarily overtly as step family or blended. They just think of themselves as premarital or married or parents, just like everybody else does. And so as a group, I was talking at the Q&A at the, at the lunch table today. As, as a group of people, the economics of step families is they're not waving the banners going, where are the products for us? Where's the ministry for us? Hey, pastor, why don't you ever preach to us? They're not really doing that. And so they stay invisible. But what they experience when they go to your marriage or parenting class is what that couple said. It just doesn't connect. And they walk out going, is it us? Are we weird? And there's that shame thing that pops up. Which brings me to barrier number two, which is shame. They're very marginalized, even within the congregation, because of the past. They might have guilt over a divorce. They might be afraid that you're going to tell them they're going to burn in hell because of their divorce. Every year the preacher preaches the sermon, God hates divorce. Well, that's me, and I can't change that, so I'll just make sure you don't know that I'm divorced. And so that creates this very much hide-in-the-closet, don't-share-my-past-with-you kind of phenomenon. I don't sit on the back row. We'll be here. We'll participate. Then we're out. We're not going to be vulnerable. Um, the re-engaged model of having testimonies on a regular basis, I think, is a phenomenal opportunity to help pull blendeds out of the closet. When you get a blended in front of everybody and they share that story, then everybody in there goes, oh, guess it's all right to be here and be a step family. And we've now normalized it and given permission to the fact that we're redeeming people here. Otherwise, they're going to hide, 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 hide. One of the things I want you to do in your ministry is what I call build bridges of grace to people. And it's because of the shame factor. If you don't intentionally go out and tell them, we know you're there, we love you, and it's okay, they will just stay in hiding. You don't understand, Ron. We're going to have you come in and do a conference. We're going to have, we have a church of uh, 1,000 people. We're bound to have 400 people here for you. No, you won't. I've been doing this for over 20 years. You're not going to have near that many people. Well, you don't understand. We're a church of 10,000, and we're going to have, we're going to have the floodgates. We've never done anything for step families before. We know you're going to have 500 people here. No, you won't. I've been in mega churches. Of, uh, in metropolitan areas that are really large and 100 people is an average audience for a step family conference. Why don't they show up? Because of the shame. This is also why if, when you launch your ministry, when you offer your first class, when you do your first workshop, 
Are you, you're a little baffled why you got four couples instead of 800 couples. It's all because of the shame thing, I'm telling you. You have to build bridges of grace. You have to communicate to them from the pulpit when you have opportunities in little creative ways and in, in, on your website. And if the pastor on Mother's Day, which is just around the co- corner, by the way, can say, hey, if you're a mom or a stepmom or a foster mom or adopted mom or a grandmom or a woman who's pouring into the life of a child not your own, we just want to celebrate you today. Thank you for being here. We love you. All you had to do is say the word stepmom, and I guarantee you every stepmom in the audience went, oh, he talked to me. It's validating. It's a bridge of grace, and it's very easy to do this, but you have to be intentional to do it so that you earn their trust and tell them it's okay. We're going to love you. It's all right. The woman at the well, I just love that story. I come back to it so many times. John 4. We don't know she's divorced five times and she's cohabiting with somebody now. She's probably divorced at least once or more in those five marriages, all right? Because there was a whole lot of shame around it. That's why she went to the, uh, to the well in the middle of the day. She avoided all the other women who went in the morning when it was cool. And she was probably told by the elders in the community, because of your past, you can't go in the morning when it's cool and everybody else goes. You need to separate yourself and be isolated. That was probably part of the... There was a lot of shame wrapped up into her story. And she hides it and hides it and hides it and hides it. And Jesus is not afraid of that. In fact, he uses that part of her story to, to get at her thirst. <laughs> She's been thirsty for a man, somebody to love her for a really long time. And she's thirsty in all the wrong directions. And Jesus is going to steer that into the right direction. It's a beautiful story. But notice, he used her story. He connected to her around that part of her life in order to end her, her story. And we've got to figure out ways of doing that. We've got to go sit by wells. So whatever ways you can creatively do that with the senior pastor team, the leadership team, marriage ministry team, all those people, and just walk that out over time. They're watching. They're waiting. Okay, I guess we can trust them. Maybe we should go. Just know that that's a part of the mentality of overcoming that barrier. We actually did a little math around this. Um, We asked the family life constituency. If you know anything about family life, we're a very conservative, biblically conservative organization that does marriage education and materials and resources for churches. Okay, We went to our constituency, found the step couples, and asked them some questions. Hey, why do you think people don't show up for classes or workshops? What, what do you think keeps couples in step families specifically from purchasing a product? Right? We're wondering, what is it that holds them back? And this is what came out. People said they're ashamed of being divorced. They're avoiding a social stigma. They would prefer that people at church not know that they're divorced. There it is. Black and white. Unsolicited. It, it's just really profound. Now, there are other reasons that we found um, information about the group or event. They, they have to know about it. By the way, these apply to everything you do in marriage and family ministry. You've got to help people find it or they won't show up. That's a, that's a no-brainer. Scheduling conflicts is a legitimate thing for people. They're not sure it will help their situation. So the question there is, well, that's for marriages, but it's probably for marriages that are struggling, and we're not struggling, so that's not for us. Oh, that's probably for healthy marriages, but we're struggling, so that's not for us. That's probably for couples who are burned out, and we're retired, and we're just doing just fine, so that's not for us. If you don't do some if-then sort of things in your advertising, you'll lose people. You need to tell them that it's for them. If you find yourself struggling to communicate about parenting, we'll show you three ways to overcome that. If you find that you're trying to build a healthy closeness in your relationship we're going to help you do that if you want a better sex life we're going to give you five ways to do that that sort of marketing of any ministry 
clearly communicates what people will get from it. And the consumer needs to know. I hate to say it that way, but they need to understand what they're going to get for their money and their time. So part of it's us. We don't market very well. But that's what that's about. Um, Okay, so let me move on a little bit and just say that that shame issue is pretty significant for people. We'll come back to that here in a bit. Theological struggles related to marriage and the divorce issue. It's uh, interesting and ironic to me that we're having this conversation right now. And somewhere else in this building, there's a dialogue going on about marriage and divorce and remarriage from a biblical standpoint and what Watermark has come down on in terms of their theology around that and therefore how they practice in their ministry. I want to encourage you, you have to do your homework. You have to decide as a church what your theology is and therefore what your practice will be. Now, if I were really dumb, I would stand up here today and pretend to be a scholar on the scriptural issues of marriage and divorce and remarriage in the Bible, and I would tell you exactly what you should think about that, but I'm not dumb, and I'm not going to do that because I have a healthy respect for how difficult this subject is. Um, It's very easy to read various scholars who have studied and studied and studied and studied, and they come out in different places There are lots of well-intentioned, good-hearted people who have really committed themselves to studying this issue, and uh, they're going to come out in different places. You've got to do your homework. You've got to decide as a church what you're going to believe, how that's going to then inform your practice. For example, couples that are coming that are dating slash engaged, wanting to get married, one of them's divorced, and you know enough about the story to know that that was a divorce that shouldn't have been. What do you do? Okay, here at Watermark, they're going to call this couple to, they're going to call that person to put off, if I understand this right, somebody tell me if I get it wrong. They're going to, they're going to call that person to delay engagement and stay single and leave the door open and reconciling that first marriage. I'm an advocate for that as well. But that's a hard premarital conversation, isn't it? You're here, so I'll help you get married, and I'm telling you, you can't do that. You've got to figure out, if that's your theology, then therefore how are you going to walk that out, right? You've got to do your homework, okay? The next question is, what if somebody is already married when they come to us, and they, we find out the backstory and they probably should not have gotten married? What do we do with that? You ought to have a theology around that as well. My personal theology is, you would have, could have, should have, but you is, therefore we're going to help you move forward and redeem this marriage relationship, Okay? Well, what if people are just going to somewhere else to get married instead of coming here because they know we're going to tell them not? Well, there's a lot of sticky stuff in this. This is ugly, hard stuff. It's not clean. Right? I, you know, it's, I, I kind of laugh a little bit just between you and me all this week when we've heard how, much, how hard marriage is. And I sit there and I think, you guys have no idea. <laughs> um, I actually think marriage is clean First marriage is clean compared to step-family marriage. That's hard. You know, people who, I love it. As a therapist, I love getting to work with couples that are in crisis that are in a first marriage. It is so much easier to save their marriage. I'm just telling you, it's so much, there's, they are so less encumbered. Step-family couples that are in crisis have lots of stuff going on around them. People pulling opinions, past, history, loss, sadness, children, commitments, money, da 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 It is so complicated. (laughs) 
it, 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 so people who are dealing with first marriages, it's like, wow, that's easy <laughs> compared to this. So I get the hard conversation. It, it, it is hard in the sense that it grows us up, and that's always hard. But it, from the standpoint of, uh, uh, of dealing with the theology, we've got to do our homework. We've got to do our homework. Okay, so questions. I'm going to pause just for a second. Is there anything that just immediately hits you like, ooh, I need to know about this? And know that I'm not a biblical scholar on marriage and divorce remarriage. I will tell you, if you want to know my favorite books, I'll tell you some great reads. Anything by David Instone Brewer. David Instone, is his, it's a hyphenated last name. I-N-S-T-O-N-E, Instone, dash, Brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R. He's written at least three or four books on this. He is a scholar at Tyndale House in the U.K., uh, he has a whole series of YouTube videos where he stands in front of the ancient scripts and reads the Greek and tells you what Jesus was talking about and what the context was for can I divorce for any cause. It's phenomenal stuff. And they're like three or four minutes apiece so you don't get burned out. And uh, they have some really cool things. Um, do I think he's right about everything? I don't think anybody's right about anything, everything. So, uh, But he's a good, good read. Craig Keener who used to be at Southwestern Baptist right here in Fort Worth, Craig Keener, anything by him. I think his one book is And Marries Another. It's the name of that, And Marries Another. Um, and one more. Rubel Shelley, R-U-B-E-L, Rubel Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, wrote a book called Marriage and Divorce in the Church. A Redemptive Theology. Fantastic. He's a theologian. Um, anyway, great guy, great guy. Wonderful, wonderful books. Good reads. I guarantee you, you'll be just as confused when you're done reading all those guys as you are now. But you will have, you will, you will have some better, you will have some clarity on certain things. Okay? At the end of the day, I think it comes down to this for me. Where is the church going to be redemptive or are we not? Um, there's lots of people in stepfamilies that, that, from a biblical standard, should not be. What do we do with that? Again, the woman at the well. Uh, potentially one to five divorces now cohabiting with a guy. This is not a woman with a great history, but Jesus connects with her. He redeems her, turns her into an evangelist. She goes and tells the Samaritan people, come see the guy who told me everything I ever did. She used to hide her past. Now she's using it to bring people to Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. One of the most awesome pieces of that whole story that is hidden, unless you really stop and think about it, is where does she encounter Christ? She's at a well, right? What's the name of the well? Jacob's well. Jacob with four wives, three of whom he really didn't love and didn't choose, gave ten kids from those three wives. The fourth wife had one son. The favored wife had a favored kid. He named him Joseph. And the, all the ten brothers hated him because of the way they were and their mothers were treated by their dad. This is a stepfamily that's just as screwed up. Happened a thousand years before Jesus encounters this woman at the well. And it's at that well, named after that guy in that family, that Jesus encounters another woman with a past. And he doesn't care. Are we going to be that hospital or are we not? 
I just think that's who we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yes. It's like Yeah. He brings up the topic. And and my little analysis, I'm not sure I'm right about this, but my little analysis of the conversation and the flow is he keeps trying to point her to God, point her to God, point her to God, talk to her about living water, and she's like skipping over this issue, that issue, where you're this, you're Jew, you're not even supposed to be here dealing with us, half-breeds. And, and he's not getting her attention. So what he does is he uses her past to capture her attention. Go call your husband. You watch the flow of the dialogue and the conversation, right? Okay, you're not with me. You're not with me. Okay, I, I got it. I'm going to go to where your heart is thirsty where you've been desperately looking for love in all the wrong places. And, I, and I'm going to use that just to get your attention, not to be legalistic and, and tell you you're a horrible person, but just to get your attention and then say, okay, now listen, you really want love? That's the flow of the dialogue. And it's beautiful. It's masterful. We don't have to be afraid of bringing up the reality of people's lives. We just have to be able to offer them living water when we get them there. And I think ultimately that's really what we're trying to do in this theological stuff. Let's keep moving. Few of us who are in ministry actually have experienced this and therefore have a voice for it. That's just true from the big dog leaders to the, the folks that are writing books and all kinds of stuff. There's just not many people out there who have lived it, walked it, talked it, and therefore given voice to it. And, and so it just kind of puts it off the radar of a lot of the influencers in uh, the Christian marriage and family field. But... Um, we're going to change that, right? Okay, we're going to put it on their radar. So, in summary, uh, let me just say this about why we're doing what we're doing. Steph Family Ministry is not about condoning anybody's past or lowering God's standard for marriage. We're just trying to strengthen homes to grow in faith and redeem the next generation, like I said earlier this morning. And ultimately, you keep that in mind, and it, and it, and it makes sense. It makes sense. Okay, let me just return just for a minute to this idea that not all marriages are created the same. I just want to illustrate that one more time to you just so you have a sense of the complexity, especially if this is not your life, of what's going on for other people. Okay, so I like to say it this way. If, if we take the puzzle pieces of marriage and family living and we put those puzzle pieces together, we get a home. It's a home. It has a size and a shape and a color and a texture. And if you could walk into it, it has a certain smell. It's a home, right? It's wonderful. Now, if we take those couple of those puzzle pieces out and we combine them with another set of puzzle pieces, we get a home. But this one has a very different size, a very different shape, a di- very different texture, a very different color. If you walked into it, a very different smell. When couples come to you for premarital counseling and they're getting ready to form a blended family, they think they're forming this. They walk in and they say, please help us build this. Your job is to help them understand the reality that they're building that. I've been a dad for 15 years. i got three kids. I know what it is to be a dad. Therefore, I know what it is to be a stepdad. Oh, no, they don't. That's what a dad does. What a stepdad does is very different on day one. You might grow in to be the same kind of person to those kids eventually, but on day one, if you start acting like that, it's going to backfire on you and all things are going to go wrong. Let me tell you what you're trying to do as a step-parent on day one. You with me? 
Now, couples come to us in all different stages of this. So premaritally, they come in with the fantasy of that, and our job is to open their eyes to this in whatever ways you can figure out how to do that. Couples will come to your marriage education programs and walk in, and they're frustrated, they're struggling, there's an issue going on, they're not sure how to get past it. And in their mind, they're still trying to figure out how to make this work. It's what we know is the biological nuclear family model is what we know. It's what we teach in church. It's what we hear about. It's every book that's ever been written by anybody that we've ever admired in the universe. They write books for this family. No wonder they're frustrated because they keep hitting their heads against that wall. When you sit down with them and go, hey, let me just put a little perspective on that for you. And you start offering words and help them go, oh, you mean as a stepdad, I'm not supposed to be this guy? Oh, no wonder. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to be this guy? Well, I can do that. All of a sudden, there's hope. All of a sudden, there's a sense of, okay, this is manageable. So they go from out of control, nothing, no hope, to, wow, hope. That little moment is just fun (laughs) to see the lights go on for people. But obviously, we have to be able to have a language to help them understand this. So, that's what I want you to kind of do your homework around, is helping you to understand that, um, so that you can move forward. Here's a little video. Watch the video and notice the story. You can just see behind the scenes that both the mom and the stepdad in this little video are trying to build that first home. They're trying to go about it with the best heart, best of intentions. They don't know any different. They don't know what they don't know. But see where it takes them. We basically met at work, just like a lot of couples do. And um, I realized that, you know, because going into the marriage, I, you know, for me, it was just, hey, this is great. She's got some kids, and I can handle that. Well, when we first got married, my children were teenagers, um, ranging from 14 years old to 18, 19 years old. And uh, as far as having my children accept him, it was, it was kind of difficult for him to take on that role. Uh, I remember the first day, walking in like a sergeant, and I remember the kids watching TV like eight hours a day. You know, I'm like, this is it. I turned the TV off, said no more TV during the day. Talk about, you know, backfire. You know, it just, it literally, um, because they weren't used to discipline in a household like that. And I was more of a easygoing type mom and um, kind of gave in to, to my kids more than I should have. I tell you that the, our marriage was challenged. I mean, there were times that it was bumpy. I didn't think we were going to make it. I, I felt... Handicap. I felt like I was. My hands were tied. I said to my wife a long time ago, "The reason why we're going to get divorced will be because of the kids and because you're taking their side." Because I was a single parent, I guess I was, you know, emotionally very tied to my children. That wasn't able to put my husband first. I felt like, hey, here I am. These aren't my kids, and I'm coming into this relationship trying to make a difference, trying to make a positive impact. And I just felt like that wasn't being appreciated. You know, not having the kids would have probably saved about 80% of the arguments. We got through it, but I will tell you, it was not easy. It was a challenge. And uh, it was a challenge every single day. Test, test. There we go. Okay, so he goes into this thing. I'm going to be the sergeant, right? I'm going to fix all the wrongs in this family. 
Quit watching TV. New rule. Right? See, he's helping out. He has good intentions. There's nothing wrong with his heart. But what he doesn't realize is that he just can't walk in and start being that boss because then the kids complain. His wife looks at him and goes, hey, what are you doing? And now they're both turning on him, and he's going, wait a minute, you're choosing them over me. And now what was a parenting problem is now a marital problem. That's a very, very common story. And we don't know how to do either. And so we're at odds with one another. And if they can't find their way through that territory. So for somebody to come alongside him and say, hey, this is how you work with your wife. Not inadvertently against what's going on. And, the, and wife, by the way, this is where you've got to step in. And you really got to be the one to support him in his new role as the stepdad in this home. This is what he needs from you. And you work together. And all of a sudden, they're off and running. And they're together and they're unified in how they do parenting, which unifies them in how they do marriage. It's that sort of stuff where we teach them not this home, but this one. And radical change can come about. I mentioned this morning there are 67 different configurations of step families, which is exhausting. Here's the application to ministry. When you walk in to teach class, we get ready to do a small group. When you get ready, whatever your little ministry effort is, you have no clue what kind of step family they are until they start talking. Okay, So take note of that. Just realize you have to go in and be flexible. You may have a set agenda, we want to talk about this, we want to talk about this, we want to talk about this, and then you may get there and go, well, two of the three apply, but the third one, psh, we don't need that one. <laughs> Be flexible. There's an ambiguity to this ministry. You just can't over-program it. Uh, understand that there's just a lot of things going on with people. There are lots of people in step families. One of the biggest trends today are the later life step families. So she went through a 30-year marriage. He had a 25-year marriage. He's 60. She's 55. They're getting married. All the kids are in their 20s and early 30s. They have adult children and adult stepchildren. So they just assume life's going to be fine for us since we're empty nest. And they discover that Kids in their 20s have just as many adjustment issues as children that were 15 or 5. They just get played out in different ways. But emotionally, they're still going through the same transitions. This is not my home anymore. There's a new woman in the house, and at Christmas, she brings 15 people that I don't have any clue who they are. This is not my home anymore, and I don't like it. That's, that's still at play, right? So this later life couple is trying to figure out how to deal with all this stuff. And there's no divorce. Right? So they don't have ex-spouses. They don't have, they're both widowed. So there's different types of stepfamilies. And so you just kind of have to meet people where they are and do the best you can. In ministry, I want you to do three things. And if you do these three things, I don't care how you go about it, you have succeeded as far as Ron is concerned. Number one, acknowledge them. Know they're there. Build that bridge of grace. Let them know that you care and that you understand and that they can come and, that, and they're not going to be yelled or screamed at, you know. That's that constant, uh, call it marketing if you want. Call it the um, we, we hear you comment. You go to them first so they'll come to you. Number two, educate them. And in a minute I'm going to say you got to give them the right answers to their questions. But good education, good content is really helpful. Number three, create connections. That's the fellowship piece, but it's more than just the fellowship. It's, it's walking with other people who are in a similar experience and we can support and love on each other. That's, 
being the church. And that's all that this is. This is not rocket science. This is not radical new strategy for ministry. This is what you're doing in a hundred ways already. We're just going to be very intentional about how we do that with step-family couples. So let's walk that out a little bit. Raising the awareness of leadership, that's about building bridges of grace. Because if everybody knows, everybody's asking better questions. This means that you sit down with your children's ministry people and you go, Hey, have you guys ever noticed that we have mom dropping kids off on Wednesday nights at Bible class and dad picks them up? This is a visitation swap right here at our church on Wednesday nights. Do your leaders in your classroom, are they aware that dad has visitation rights and are they aware of this dynamic uh no never really thought about that before (laughs) well you should be let's think about that let's think through what that means for us and security and uh you with me okay youth ministry team um you guys give out this ward every year for who attends the most guess what we got a bunch of kids here who can't come but every other weekend because they're at dad's house or mom's house and so they feel penalized And they're never going to be good enough. Can we rethink that policy? We're going to take kids on a mission trip every year. And we need those medical releases signed. Let's hand them out and just get the signatures back. But do you know step parents cannot sign those. Because they don't have any legal rights to sign away medical consent for a child that's not theirs. They don't have any legal rights to. So make sure you get biological parents to sign the medical forms. Everybody needs to understand this. And so it goes through every aspect of the church ministry. And when you raise their awareness, all of a sudden they're asking better questions and they're doing better ministry. Here's one that I just love to talk to youth ministers about. Hey, look, Susie's in your youth group. She's wonderful. You love her to death. She's one of your key leaders. Her mom and her stepdad are members of your church. You've never met, talked to, or had a conversation with biological dad. He may not even be a believer. Do you ever reach out to him? (laughs) You'd be amazed how many student pastors have never even given a thought to that. Why? Because they're the members of our church. Susie's in our She's active. But you take her on retreats for crying out loud. You take her on mission trips. Reach out to dad and just say, hey, dad, Mr. Jones, want you to know we're taking Susie on this trip. I'm going to take good care of her. I want you to know everything that we're doing, what our schedule's going to be. Do you have any questions? God bless. Have a nice day. If there's ever anything I can do to help you in parenting your daughter, let me know. What an incredible outreach opportunity, right? It's just simple things like that that all of a sudden connect into the real world of where people live. You can think about the, create a continuum of care in your ministry. Um, this comes from the work of Jeff and Judy Parziel, and I, I, I love it. Um, so let's kind of walk through it a little bit. There are different intervention places within your church. You can actually start in divorce recovery. This looks like going into your divorce recovery class and, and adding 10 minutes onto the last session and handing out a little, little article on things to know before you get remarried. And, and these are people who are going through divorce recovery and they're going, why are you giving this to us? Well, some of them are already dating. We wish they weren't, but they are, right? Um, but what we're saying to them is, hey, look, if you ever get to this place where you get married again and you have kids, it's a, there's a different animal here. We want to help you do that transition well. Let us know. And they're looking at you like you're weird, but two or three years later, they've fallen in love. And all of a sudden, you've got an audience because they care now. But you showed them, you planted a seed, and now that's given fruit. Then there's the single parent years, right? In the single parent years, you're going to help them manage their home well and strengthen single parents. I believe very strongly one of the best setups for a successful step family is a healthy single parent family. Because if mom is keeping the standards high 
and not getting soft or wimpy. That's a clinical term, wimpy. But she's keeping the standards high. She's just doing life well with her kids. Then when she introduces a stepdaddy into her life, they are used to respecting authority. They are used to respecting mom. And so when mom says, hey, look, he's my new guy. He's going to tell you to pick up your socks every now and then, and I expect you to obey him. It works. But if mom has been wimpy, 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 back to our video, she lets him watch TV all day long. So she's wimpy, and stepdad comes in and says, hey, no more TV. This does not work on day one. It backfires. So if we help single moms, single dads do their job well in those single parent years, we're actually doing good step-family ministry for those that move into that. Then there's the remarriage or pre-step-family education. And once they get married, there's a step-family education. How can you do this? I don't care how you do this. Find what works for you. At Watermark, here's where they are. Four years ago, I came here. We talked through a lot of this stuff. And they said, you know what? What we think we can do is in merge, we can add a session onto the end for blended couples. So they go through everything everybody else goes through, and then we add that last session. That's how they've kind of figured out how to do it in merge. And in re-engage, they have a little sidebar sprinkled through the re-engage program. They have te- we've been talking the last two days about how they can have testimonials from stepfamily couples. And even that goes a long way towards connecting to the couples that are here. But now they've given birth to a whole new program that meets on Tuesday nights. I met with them last night. So last night, the night before, Tuesday night, they have a Tuesday night stepfamily couple group that meets, that studies education materials specifically designed for stepfamilies, and that's in addition to the re-engage program. So they added one thing, then they added another thing, then they found a place for another thing. Find what works for you. If you do your premarital stuff one-on-one, great. Add stepfamily stuff into it. Say, here, read this book, watch this video. We're going to talk about it. Even if you don't feel like you... You know, know all the answers. That's okay. Just get them interacting with content that will give guidance to that process. If you use Prepare and Rich, that has a lot of stuff built into it now. Some of the exercises I've created for Prepare and Rich, and it's built right into the program. There's stuff wherever you go. You just have to kind of figure out what the easy, logical next step is for you. Now, marriage education still works for stepfamily couples. They still benefit from re-engage, even though it's really not about the stepfamily ocean that they're swimming in. It's about couples, but it's still helpful and empowering to them. One of the things I'm pretty excited about is uh, a new book. Um, Actually comes out in uh, May, so this is pre-pressed copy. I mean, we got these overnighted this week here. Uh, the The Smart Step Family Marriage. This is specifically around the couple's relationship about emboldening them, building them up, creating solidarity, strengthening them so that they can lead and deal with everything else going around them. There will be a free PDF study guide for small groups, 13 weeks if you want to do that. comes with a little code in the back. If you're familiar with the couple checkup, they can go online, take the couple checkup. It kind of integrates all throughout the book. Okay, So we're kind of jazzed about that one hitting the market here real soon. That obviously is an enrichment tool for couples. I shared this with you this morning, so I'm not going to really talk about it. I'm going to move right on for sake of our time. Give step-family answers to step-family questions. Let me give you one illustration of this. Parenting is a really good example. Um, Some of you are familiar with the different types of parenting styles. Authoritative is the top left. Uh, Let me get my little thing at again. So up here we have being in charge. 
Are you low in charge as a parent or high in charge as a parent? That has to do with structure, boundaries, expectations. Do the kids know what the rules are? Do you follow through with the rules? Are you just a threatening parent or do you actually follow through? You get the idea, right? That's from low to high. Well, over here is the warmth. Another way to say that is nurturance, affection, love. Do, do your kids know that you're their biggest fan and that you're completely in their corner, right? So if you're low in warmth, then you, you don't... I, I never heard my dad say, I love you, kind of a person, right? That's, that's your life and your experience. And if you're high, then you're hugging on them and loving and kissing and letting them know you just know God created them for great things. And you get the idea, right? So if you do both warmth and in charge well... That's what we call authoritative parenting. This is what God does for us. Ron, I love you enough to go to the cross for you. And I'm also going to let you suffer all the consequences of your own behaviors that you choose to do outside of my will. (laughs) That's a good example of authoritative parenting. Permissive parenting is, uh, honey, you set the rules. You're six. You can decide when you want to go to bed. All right. Um, authoritarian parenting is I'm going to make the rules for you when you're 26, and you're going to do them because I said so. Uh, neglectful parenting is I don't care. There's no rules. Live life, and I hope you do okay. You get the idea, right? So the best parenting style is authoritative, but not if you're a step parent on day one. That just feels weird. Goes against every parenting James Dobson book, every Kevin Lehman book, every John Roseman book. Those are all my favorite parenting authors, by the way. Great stuff. And every book they've ever written is for biological parents, not for step parents. And if step parents try to implement those things on day one, it'll probably backfire. We want step parents to come in and be the babysitter. We want the biological parent, the BP, to be the authoritative parent. We want them saying, turn off the TV, not the new stepdad. We want mom saying, turn off the TV. And if she'll do that and she'll follow through because she's the mom, it works. And if the stepdad's coming alongside her, supporting her with that, and they're unified in that, they can make changes to the rules. But it has to come through the biological parent. It can't come through the step-parent, not on day one. Because the step-parent is just the babysitter, essentially in the eyes of the kids. That's all they are. Until I get to know you and love you and trust you, that's all you are to me. But over time, you will grow in your role. Now you're family. You're like my uncle. You're not my dad, but you're like my uncle. Right? And then some step-parents with some stepchildren, in some circumstances, emphasize on the word some, can move to a place of great power, great influence, and tremendous authority in the life of a child. But that's a process. When you make that understood to people, all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's work the process. Helps them relax. All of a sudden they're a better team. But let me tell you, one of the big, big traps, watch this, is when bio parents don't do their job but instead get permissive because they feel sorry for their kids. They feel guilty about what the children have been through and they get paralyzed in permissiveness. And then the step-parent goes, well, somebody's got to get the socks picked up for crying out loud. This house is chaos. And they just slide naturally into authoritarian because somebody's got to get the job done. That puts them in total opposite corners as parents and total opposite corners as a couple. And that really wears and tears against their relationship. That's what I mean by stepfamily answers to stepfamily questions. When you get that, you're a much, much better educator and teacher. Systemic education. Don't just focus on the marriage. But focus on everything else. You heard me say that this morning. Creating connections. Let me jump to that. 
We got three minutes. Creating connections. That's in small groups, relationships, uh, Saturday afternoon activities, whatever that looks like for you, whatever makes sense in your church structure. Look for those opportunities to just build relationship because they will help and love and support each other. I talked about sidebars this morning. It's as simple as you do a marriage class. And let's say you've already got your notes in a nice binder and you teach the same six sessions every quarter and you don't want to change that. You don't have time. I get it. I get it. Just add a little sidebar in there. Just tell a story about a step family and how they worked on something. Or when you're illustrating something about you know, relationships, just make sure it's applied in some way to a step family. Let's say you got six sessions on parenting that you normally do. When you say, all right, we want you to be an authoritative parent. But if you're a step parent, maybe not on the first day. You've got to grow into that role. That's a two-minute sidebar. Then you come right back and talk about authoritative parenting. Those little, little insertions go a long way towards educating people whenever you get them. Marriage mentoring. Um, Pair them up with a veteran step couple who can walk with them for a year. Uh, We now have a mentor guide to the Smart Step Family book. You can get it through the ministry of the parrots, Les and Leslie Parrot. MarriageMentoring.com is where that's distributed. You can get a hold on that. You can just walk them through the book. You don't necessarily need the guide. Um... Pre-step family counseling. One of the big things here is we just want to help them slow down. (laughs) Just help them slow down, if at all possible. The book Dating in the Single Parent that I wrote is really, that's kind of the heart of the message. Date well. Here's, Here's some things to think about. Here's how you bring your children along with you in the process. But slow down because you're ready as an adult far before your kids are ready for you to get married. And if you move too fast, they can reject the marriage and never let up. That doesn't happen often, but it does sometimes. They kind of make a decision. Boy, dad has lost his marbles. He's fallen in love. He would never let me date that way, but he is dated this way. He is crazy, and she is just wanting his money. Whatever those little things are they create in their mind about why this is happening, it goes into the category of unhealthy. And then dad wants me to be happy for him. I can't be happy for him. See, that just creates a, a difficulty there. So when we help couples slow down, it's really helpful. That webpage at the bottom, smartstepfamilies.com slash view slash, that's in your notes, is it not? That is a great place to go if you want tips, tools on premarital counseling, if you want videos on helping couples and using Prepare and Rich, and if there's a, a sample session outline for how to do premarital counseling. There's articles there on doing therapy um, uh, counseling with freebies okay lots and lots of freebies go visit that and get more we are on the U version bible app how many of you have that on your smartphone or your tablet just open up the reading plans type blended guess what you'll find us where there's a free six-day reading plan you can share that with couples and have them do that on their own time there's an app now called uncommon that's written it's created for men who are quite not quite mature christian men maybe peripheral to church life this is a real creative app that's been created in the last six months. Um, it helps them lead, love their spouses, be a dad, and be a stepdad. We've got a whole section of stuff on being a stepdad. Right Now Media. You guys know what Right Now Media is? Okay, if your church subscribes to that, all of my videos are available. You already have access to them. It won't cost you a dime. Let me encourage you to do that. This is our home base, Family Life Blended. 
come visit us. Um, lots of tips, rules, re- resources. Because of the Family Life Today radio broadcast, I was figuring this out the, the other day. We have 15 to 16 hours of uh, audio content that is available for listening and download for free on every variety of topic related to step families. 15 or 16 hours. Okay, there's over 30 broadcasts. Just go and hunt and hit search. Type a word. It's amazing what you can find. Share with somebody who's wrestling with something. Point them to all those resources. Uh, One of the new things we have is a new little 60-second radio feature that airs on KLTY and radio stations all over the country. And it airs on a daily basis. You can also listen to it online. And I'm not going to make you listen to that. Sorry, we don't have time. Uh, I told you about this this morning. We'd love to have you come and be a part of it. And then there's kind of the core resources that, that I point people to that I've been able to be a part of. The top right is the Smart Step Family. That's kind of the core curriculum I would point you to. Uh, book, DVDs, participants guide. It's a plug and play. Okay, It'll get you eight one and a half hour sessions. Now when I say that, nobody wants to do it in just eight sessions. Every group I've ever seen or heard about in a church they get to the end of the eighth they go can we do this again or can we can we do another week on this session it because there's so much content crammed into a little amount of time so you can decide how you move forward with that but you have at least eight sessions that you can use i've had churches use that in their premarital counseling that's what they give the couple watch this we're going to talk about it feel free to be creative with how you apply and use those tools the smart stepmom stepdad books obviously are written for those people who are walking life out, dating in the single parent. The ministry to step families in the top left is a video that you could share with ministry leaders. They have that downstairs at the table as well as the Smart Step Family book and materials. The ministry to step families could be something you hand to your youth pastor, your senior pastor. You're just trying to garner some understanding within your staff. That might be a tool you can use. Uh, Life in the Blender, that little booklet in the top left, that's actually written for children ages 10 and up. I think it's an easy read for them. Just an easy read to put words on their common experiences of kids. But it comes with a parent discussion guide. The idea is get mom connected to her kids at a deeper level around what their child, her child is experiencing in her home. And that's the idea there, to get them dialoguing with one another. And then the Smart Stuff Family Marriage is the new one. Uh, that hits bookshelves next month. Um, I know that's a bunch of stuff. Questions, comments. Uh, and I'm going to point out it's 3.05, and I apologize for going long. If you need to go, feel free to go. I'm going to hang around for a few minutes for those who have questions. Love to entertain those for you. Okay? Thoughts, questions? Well, yes. I'm in an original marriage, an original family. Okay. Oh, yeah, yes. thank you. Okay. So uh, um, something I've come away from here with, uh, we're an adoptive family. Okay. When I was talking about the parenting stuff, yeah, that hits home, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we're really a blended family, too. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, let me just add a word, and then maybe if you have a follow-up, um, a lot of people tell me that the, w- the material I teach about step families and step parenting and the bonding process and gaining respect and earning authority, et cetera, et cetera, applies very well to adoptive families. Um, 
I will tell you that adoptive families are, are different in some significant ways from step families, but there are some similarities, especially around that whole parenting piece. Right. Yeah. So thank you for that awareness. You're welcome. And God bless you for adopting. Somebody else? Did, did you have something? Yeah. Well, I actually have two. The first is, do you have anything already put together on your site with the various tips and things you can pass on to the other ministries, to youth ministry? We're starting the blended family in our church. and Actually, did you get the handout this morning when I spoke? They walked down the aisles and they were handing out stuff? Yes, I okay. need to look at that. Okay. Look at it. One side has tips for step families. The other side has tips for ministry leaders, okay. marriage ministry leaders. It doesn't have a lot of the tips for children's or youth people, or it's more of the marriage ministry focus. Uh, so do we have anything? I mean, otherwise, we were going to start trying to put it together, but I didn't know if there was something already out there. I can't remember. I, I'm thinking that maybe there's an article somewhere on Smart Step Families about youth ministries and children's ministries and the different things they can do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, one other real quick. We sure. had a table set up with your materials. We're going to be starting a workshop in our church using the Smart Step Family Series. Actually had a child who was about 12 or 13 approach, pick up the materials, and we started to talk to him, and he said something to the effect of, well, there's something going on in my house, and, and I know what's going on, and, and I'm just interested in this. Wow. And I was kind of, we were left stunned. Wow. We were not prepared. I was not for a child to approach. I was prepared for f mothers and fathers. Wow. So just something for others who are getting going on this, you may have children approach you, and I don't, I don't know how to answer that at this point. One of my dreams is in the future, we really hope to have a new resource for churches that it is not just for the adults, but it's also for the kids. And that's, that's a dream, and we're working in that direction, and I'm not going to make any promises about when or where, but believe me, we know we need to do more for the kids. Good. Somebody else? Okay. Yeah. Hit that mic. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you, you touched on just the, the stigma of uh, uh, blended families, and, and that is so, so dead on. Um, to where a lot of people, just as, as you said, you know, in a big congregation, how many people come forward mm -hmm. to to a seminar or class or whatever? And just going back to that, to that, to know people, to pursue people, and to be known, um, and just that because we we've led a blended family uh, study, and and as being an elder, and we're a blended family, mm -hmm. and that alone, that that just says a lot. And to have that platform, it's created such an avenue of, you know what, there's only one impartable sin. Mm, that, yeah. And just that First John 1, 9. Amen. Um, and that it, you're okay and you're forgiven. And, and just to reassure people of the forgiveness of Christ and the redemption mm -hmm. and just how so many people are, you know, beat themselves up and have that shame. And uh, once you unveil that and get that off and, and just um, shepherd them through that. I'm pretty then confident. these 
they, I mean, they're powerful what happens after that. I'm very confident. Thank you for offering that. I'm very confident that most pastors have no clue how, how deep and wide the shame is. I've put, I, I'm going to use this illustration, and it may be overstated, but I don't think it's by much. I think step couples who have experienced divorce, in particular when they made a choice that they now know they should not have made, that the level of shame that they feel is second only to somebody who's trying to walk out of a homosexual lifestyle. I think it's that significant. That there's just a level of embarrassment and, man, that is not my life. And all those ideals that they preach and teach in our church over and over again all the time, that's not me. And I just feel yucky about that. It's hard. It's hard. And so we've got to... We've got to teach God's ideal with a sensitivity for those who have not obtained that and are living something other than that. And so we don't apologize for the truth, but at the same time we teach with compassion and offer that redemptive message of grace. And and, and that's the huge piece right there that's really important. Yeah. Did I hear you say that you yourself um, come from a step a I step don't family? come from a step yeah. family. Yeah. So how did you get interested in this ministry well it's kind of funny i was i'm a family minister yeah you know to me it just is it's it's almost like i don't understand why everybody else hasn't gotten here already by themselves because in 1993 i graduated with a master's degree in marriage and family therapy i'd been in ministry working with uh kids youth ministry went back to graduate school, now understood families at a completely different level as a, as a therapist, and immediately was doing work with step families in a clinical setting. But I wanted to get into ministry where I could help offer prevention, education, and enrichment. And so right after graduate school, went right back into ministry in a local church and was counseling step families, but was always trying to get ahead of that. How do we do prevention? And if you're going to do family ministry, marriage training, parent training, on and on, I... I just thought, well, we have to have a single parent ministry. We have to have a step. Why does everybody not do this? I, I just, I still to this day don't understand why everybody doesn't do it. If we say we believe in family, then we ought to be relevant to all families. That's my story. I tried to be relevant to all families. It took me about six or eight years to kind of figure out how to do step family ministry and how to learn, and I listened, and they taught me more than I ever taught them. But once we kind of figured it out, we just started sharing it, and that's just led to a whole journey for me. Yeah. Yeah, you got to follow up to that, sure. So I, I'm not from a blended family also, but I have a passion to help them. How, you know, when the, if they say, yo, you can't relate, how could I? I got good news that? for you. They won't say you can't relate. They don't care. They're so thirsty. If you give them water, they'll drink it. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you can be smart. You can have a co-leader couple who is a step family, and maybe they have no words to say, but they'll share their testimony. And together, you're a wonderful team. Okay, I used to be really paranoid about that. For about a decade, I was paranoid about it. And then I woke up one day and said, you know, nobody's ever said, Ron, but you're not a step family. You can't tell us anything. Nobody's ever said that to me, ever. And that was... Ten years ago, I figured that out. And then my friend Francesca came along, and they actually did research where they followed three groups of couples that went through a stepfamily education program. And the first group had a leader that had grown up in a stepfamily. And the second group had a leader who was living in a stepfamily. And the third group had a leader who didn't have any life experience like me in a stepfamily at all. And they measured how people experienced their different leaders and how they rated them. And then they got to the end of the study, and there was no difference whatsoever between anybody. 
As a matter of fact, the people not in a step family were rated just as high as the people who were in a step family. The one group that was rated lower, the one leader that was rated lower than the other two was those who grew up in a step family. And what they surmised from the study was that people who had a childhood experience tell stories from the vantage point of being a kid and they're not so happy stories. They tend to be more negative and so the participants were kind of you know, lost hope because of the stories shared by the person who had grown up in a step family. So maybe that's a lesson learned about who you want to put in front of your audience, right? Put somebody who's living at the adult step family experience. But it didn't matter that you didn't live in a step family. Just own it. Be real with that. Somebody asks a question you don't know, say, man, I don't know. What do you think? Let's talk about it. <laughs> I think it's okay. Great question. God bless, guys. I'm going to turn you loose. If you have more, I'll, I'll be around.